Welcome everybody to episode six of the Blockchain Bay podcast. Today I am with Sean from XNet as well as Russ and Joe. And today we're going to be talking about the first blockchain powered mobile carrier. How are you today, Sean? What's up, Chris? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to get into talking about XNet, but first I want to know a little bit more about you and what your introduction to crypto was like. I always think it's interesting to hear from everybody how they found it and what led them to become part of a crypto project so yeah no for sure um so yeah i definitely have to say my like deep introduction to crypto was probably like 2019 late 2019 2020 and it actually ironically started with what was then known as decentralized wireless but now broadly known as deepin which stands for decentralized physical infrastructure networks but it was basically my senior year in college, um, 2020 bull run. Um, some buddies of mine had discovered Helium, which was an IoT network then um, on it, through an Instagram ad, actually. So my junior and senior year of college was just entirely spent diving deep into these networks, mining, setting them up, learning more about it, connecting with people in the space. And that was honestly my hard intro to crypto. And it's interesting because I think most people get introduced, obviously, through Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I guess I kind of had this niche entry through this um, new kind of vertical emerging in crypto. So that's kind of how I got involved. And since then, um, went from more of a passive participant, um, just mining to doing more active stuff. From there, I also... Um, part-time helped out with the Helium Foundation on the grant, grant side. I worked at a startup accelerator. Um, and there it was quite interesting because I got to see a lot of other types of blockchain projects and try to help them launch, do a lot of get-to-market stuff with them, help with tokenomics. And then through there, I guess, um, my focus has mainly been on the mobile side. So this thing we call decentralized wireless now and the focus my focus has been on mobile always and somehow through the great web of just connectivity and knowing people um i met i'm good friends with the guys at escape velocity um they're a venture firm who their main thesis is decentralized wireless and deepen and they kind of led me on to xnet they're like hey um there's this new exciting project coming in the CBRS mobile space, uh, leveraging blockchain. And they gave me an introduction there and just really passionate about materializing the space finally and just disrupting the entire kind of incumbent that we know as telecom, the oligopolies as we know them. So yeah, it's my passion. I um, just want to make a bigger impact. Uh, when I think about decentralization, it's kind of, it's not this completely permissionless Trust, trustless um, cult-like society, but if we can abstract away some power from where it's held today and distribute it amongst communities, I think we can make a long-lasting impact and do something useful for the community. So yeah, that's kind of my background. I thought it was interesting you said you pretty much found your way in with Helium because that definitely brought a bunch of people into the space, and I think specifically into the deep end space uh, because it's kind of its own niche product, uh, different than traditional crypto. And it brought a 
different crowd into it. So did you have a bunch of hotspots uh, hosted or what were you doing with that? Yeah, so um, it was basically hosting hotspots, um, finding locations in our college town. and It was actually pretty cool. I think it works differently in a college town. Um, some interesting dynamics there because being a student, I don't know, you have like people just hustling, you know, they'd be happy to get a hundred more bucks. But in the real world, it's like, oh, you're only paying me a hundred dollars a month and you have to come in my house and install this thing. So it was interesting. It's like the college grounds are kind of a nice ecosystem test bed for these things because it's easy to find hosts it's easy for there's like no barrier you know people are students are more prone to accept these things so yeah i was mostly hosting things um and meeting people that that was like kind of the biggest thing out of this like you go to host you meet someone new you have a new friendship uh some of my best friends actually made through just like these mining dy network so it's been pretty awesome yeah, I wish I did that when I uh, when I was at my previous school. I probably could have placed some hotspots some places, but I ended up doing like I think I had two in my house, and it wasn't the best setup. Uh, let's talk about some XNet some more. So, what is your role? So at XNet, um, I guess my role on paper, I like to say I, I lead business development and kind of partnerships within the crypto sphere and the deepen sphere currently, but. Man, it's a startup, so I mean, you guys know how it is—just running around everywhere, doing what I can. You know, each day. Basically, my goal is each day that someone I can get someone excited about XNet, I've done my job, and if I, if I haven't done that, then I haven't I failed at my job for that day. So that's what I like to tell people. Awesome. So I did make a video talking about XNet. I believe Joe did as well. But for those watching or listening. How would you explain XNet so that anybody could understand? For sure. No, and really appreciate you doing that video, Chris and Joe. Um, I think it was well received. Um, a lot of a lot of my team members saw it and they loved it. So very glad you did did those videos. I think it was helpful um, for a lot of people. But yeah, XNet's general mission is basically, I guess the first principle is sharing things makes things more efficient and makes makes things more accessible and equitable for, for the world, right? So the current state of mobile connectivity is one of pretty, has been pretty drowned in stuff like regulatory capture, um, just the oligopoly structure that the U.S. has when it comes to mobile connectivity, right? There's, there's three or four main participants. Um, how it works is... Each of those participants participate in a top-down structured spectrum auction every few years. And this is like trillions of dollars. They're spending billions of dollars. Actually, the U.S. government's um, net revenue, like 2 to 3%, comes from these big oligopolies, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. But yeah, and due to, the, due to this regulatory capture, there are only being three or four companies that kind of dictate what happens in the industry of mobile in the United States, it leads to a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of things that could be better, such as pockets of connectivity that aren't there. Like a lot of rural places don't have connectivity because these companies aren't incentivized to do it because they're not going to make a good buck there. Or say expanding networks, place a dense place like New York, um, 
obviously just with compute going up, um, the need and demand for data is kind of just like a left curve going up at this point. Like people have predicted that by 2028, the use of the, just the amount of gigabytes that flow through the mobile ecosystem in America will maybe three to five X. So it's the current structures aren't well equipped to keep up with what's going on in the mobile sphere. And XNet is kind of a testament to that. We want to fix the inefficiencies of the Verizons, the T-Mobiles, the AT&Ts, and basically create a shared economy of the cellular networks. So XNet, we're basically um, using blockchain and crypto incentives to bootstrap cellular networks in places where they're most needed, where the demand is the most. So areas that have poor connectivity right now, or they have capacity issues. And we basically incentivize and decentralize our radios through our community and a token into these areas. And the plan is to basically resell our network back to the big guys, back to the oligopoly at a fraction of the cost and share that revenue with the people that help us along the way, set it up and that are just part of our community because that's how we believe it should work. And another big thing with 5G coming, um, our current, the current industry is just not equipped to be able to handle the hardware demand and the intensify, intensifying of locations throughout the US. So right now, I think 4G towers are placed every couple blocks or a couple miles apart um, due to frequency, frequency measurements and such. And with 5G, we're going to need basically radios on every block, radios on every telephone pole and the industry is just not well equipped to do that and i think this is obviously a better method right just decentralizing the hardware the radios that you need to do it and yeah go from there so pretty excited i know that was a lot i'm pretty proud no i appreciate that no that's great um i thought it was interesting that you're talking about how the, these big telecom companies and how they're not well equipped and i remember since i was a kid pretty much for the past 10, maybe 15 years, when you walk into one of the stores like AT&T, Verizon, they usually have a map of the United States and it shows their coverage. And that map really hasn't changed over the years. And there's a lot of dead spots across the United States that people live in and they are going to be occupied as the population grows. And they just don't seem like they are really putting a lot of money into upgrading. It seems more like they're putting their money into just kind of maintaining the network. Yeah, yeah. Right now where I live, the service is awful i have one bar on my phone but it really isn't one bar and i think it's because of the amount of devices that are connected to the one tower in the area because i'm at a college campus right now so the need for a network that can handle all of this bandwidth is necessary and it really doesn't seem like any of them are prepared i want to pivot here and talk about your potential competitors like helium and pollen can you talk about your ability to be a full mobile network service and what that means yeah for sure chris um yeah i mean there's a lot of kind of competitive advantages and maybe even disadvantages of kind of launching when XNet did into this environment. Um, but yeah, XNet, we're basically in mobile terms and technical terms, we're building a true 3GPP, GSMA compliant, neutral host network. And this idea that I brought up earlier that sharing things, no matter what makes, makes it more efficient, right? Sharing resources, sharing capital makes things more efficient. And that's what basically the neutral host enables. So basically what this neutral host is, the XNet network is able 
too, because it's GSMA and 3GPP compliant. Um, I think that might be the main competitive advantage between networks such as Helium and Pollen. We're able to interconnect with any telco. So it could be Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, Dish, any telco's back end, which is their mobile core, and they'll, they'll be able to roam onto our network. So Chris, like you said, that example in your college campus where you have a bar, say we incentivize maybe a group of your friends to go deploy XNet gear, and we have a deal with T-Mobile's or say Verizon. And if you have one of those carriers, the beauty of this, the neutral host model is that T-Mobile Verizon will roam onto the XNet network and you won't even know that you're technically using the XNet network. Well, you might because you set it up, but basically that one bar you had in that spot near your campus, will you'll be fully connected. You'll have four bars, full connectivity. That's kind of the beauty of the XNet model. Um, no other company has done it so far. And I think this is due to a lack of expertise in telecom and just knowing how this industry works. Obviously, I kind of mentioned it was an oligopolic structure and i think that has a lot to do with it like there's a lot of back roads you have to know certain people within the space you have to have these standards that are just been there since the 80s and companies like helium and pollen are great i really obviously i kind of got the introduction to the space and they kind of laid out the ground set and the vision that the space could be in terms of how we could scale it but i think that was an area where they lacked where xnet picked up the slack they're like all right, we need to make this not a joke really anymore because these operators, they're like, oh yeah, there's some cool crypto telecom company, but they don't really know what they're doing. But now I, I think XNet changes that narrative. We walk into rooms and we're GSMA 3GPP compliant network. We're building our network in clustered footprint and like actually building a real product when it comes to the network. So I think that's our main competitive advantage and people get that, you know? There's a lot of pull from customers in the market, such as MNOs, and they get what we're doing and they're excited to participate. So I think that's the real advantage. And that's kind of how we set ourselves apart. How would someone be able to participate in XNet today? Yeah, Russ, would you like to jump in on that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to jump in here and talk about how uh, dreamers like me got involved in this space. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I can jump into a little, little background for first for some context. Uh, so I, I worked in the traditional telecom industry at, uh, at Verizon Wireless. Uh, I was a principal engineer and built out uh, thousands of cell sites, uh, mostly in the Midwest. Uh, but later on, I was deploying um, equipment worldwide uh, and uh, had a bunch of junior engineers on the team that I worked with to make sure we could get uh, equipment up and running. People's cell phones would turn on and they get as, uh, as many bars as possible. <clears throat> and then later on, I uh, worked at US Cellular focus on uh, securing the wireless network from attacks. Uh, so I, you know, I left the industry twice, <laughs> this traditional telecom industry, mostly because I was just, um, you know, kind of frustrated with where the industry was going. Um, so, you know, mentioned earlier the big carrier. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have been, you know, in meetings with some, uh, you know, pretty big executives uh, at Verizon talking about how what they really think, how they really view the market, what we were spending, what our priorities were, where we were building out capacity. And, you know, it was, you know, very tightly controlled. And over time, the focus changed quite a bit from making sure we always had the best quality, the fewest drop calls, 
calls were always, you know, ex, you know, if you got your phone, it was reliable. It worked. Um, and, you know, later on, it came more of, well, data and data speeds and, you know, what what is good enough? And I felt like we were kind of dropping um, our, our focus a little bit. And it was tightly controlled here. Like if, if somebody complains, it goes into, and it's like this with all the carriers, it goes in <clears throat> and that complaint goes through, you know, systems of, of prioritization and what can come out the other end, you know, typically is, is only is, you know, typically not what going to help somebody who's saying, you know, I've got poor coverage in this area. They usually, you know, have some sense of it, but um, prioritize areas for uh, lots of internal reasons. And if you just say, hey, you know, it's okay. I just want to put one up maybe in my house or in my campus or in my building, it's a very long, slow and expensive process to do that. And you got to do it with each carrier, you know, independently, unless you're doing, you know, what they call uh, neutral hosting, like maybe for a stadium, but <clears throat> typically a very long, very slow, very complicated process. Um, and so I, you know, I was very excited, you know, I, so, you know, similar um, to Sean here, when I first heard about helium, I didn't believe it. I thought it was kind of ridiculous. And then as I saw it grow, took it more seriously, built my own fleet, signed up hosts, uh, et cetera, you know, and I still have that that fleet today uh, and and really got involved and started doing interviews with the community, start talking to people, uh, being one of the few people with a background in you know the traditional industry and hoping that it would get better. It'd be more open to where as long as you follow the set of rules that are out there, um, FCC rules and you know some fair rules from the carriers, you can fix the problem of of having bad service. Uh, and also get paid for it, I think was really revolutionary. Uh, a lot of other networks so, that are in the space have shied away from this and are kind of scared of this. XNet, I think, is the clear you know, leader in the United States of this concept and pushing us forward. It's probably one of the toughest things to do. Um, <clears throat> this is a huge wall to climb. Uh, other networks have given up, have stopped saying they're trying to do this or they put it on the back burner. Um, so, uh, you know, it's really brave of them, I think, to stick up and also the, the technical quality of the people on the team that Sean did get into, people like Tom, who have an incredible wealth of experience, um, incredibly, you know, smart, poignant and incredibly connected in the traditional industry, know all the big players, know what they're looking for, know how to do technical integrations, uh, you know, uh, you know, have worked on mobile cores before, have actually production ready commercial cores that are ready to go, ready to integrate, can pass and easily pass an audit. Uh, and make roaming so much better and so much easier. Um, so, so customers have a seamless experience, I think is a, a true strength of it. So uh, what I do now is I, you know, really work to help expand Xnet. Uh, right now I'm really focused on Chicago <clears throat> and building out that area with um, ISPs. So I really try to help explain to, you know, normal people, normal businesses, what's in it for them, why this makes sense, uh, give them commitments, and then help them, you know, basically I unlock this new opportunity for them and supply the equipment for it, partner with them uh, to put these up. So, which is a, a difficult thing, uh, getting good locations, having solid business relationships, making promises and commitments and delivering on them is, you know, can be very tough in this space because uh, timelines change, networks change, incentives change very frequently. I mean, another network here is constantly changing. It's very hard to forecast what you're going to make, you know, even next month. Um, so stability is key. Trust is key. Uh, and that's, you know, why I enjoy working with, uh, with the XNet team. They're a team that's easy to talk to, 
they're very knowledgeable, very smart, but they're also good people to work with. Um, there's definitely some bad people in the space who are very difficult to work with um, and think they own the space. And I don't think that's true at all. We don't know, you know exactly how this is going to turn out, um, but I think it's going to change very quickly. Um, eventually, the wall will fall. And I think Xnet's going to be one of the first to say, look, we did it. Maybe it took a little bit longer than expected, but we were able to, to work with them and unlock this tremendous opportunity. And, you know, the big opportunity that we see, I, I think, in the near term future is really working with wireless, uh, working with Wi-Fi and saying, you know, you can get paid for Wi-Fi roaming is very exciting. And that's very easy to do. Um, there's several companies uh, that do this today. So um, that's a. Uh, Bit of my background, bit of what I do. Um, I'm fairly open uh, here. I, I don't post on Twitter that much. I'm not, you know, as much of a YouTuber. I think is probably everybody else here. Uh, but I'm very active um, and have, have try to meet with people in person. So I was at Mobile World Congress earlier this year, talking with many of the manufacturers uh, and projects in the space, uh, which was very exciting, very enlightening, and, and really gave me a lot of hope for the future, especially on a day like today where, you know, the market's pretty far down and. You're seeing a lot of people capitulate. I'm seeing more pictures of helium miners in garbage cans I've ever seen before. So it's uh, it's definitely changing. Russ, can you elaborate a little bit on your uh, like the crowd share hosting model? If people want to be involved, how they could approach you if they have a great location or they have hardware that they need to get out to a location? Yeah, yeah. So that's something. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Joe. So. Um, a couple of things. So I work with mostly buy sells radios. That's what I focus on. And if somebody has extra radios, um, I can take those radios and basically unlock them to work on any network that's out there. Um, so, you know, Xnet makes a lot of sense in Xnet areas, especially, you know, special areas where they have incentives with hexes. Uh, and that's, you know, where I help. So there are multiple opportunities across the country you know, evolving every day, every week of where to deploy. Uh, Chicago is a big one. Uh, there's several places in the Midwest. Uh, they're looking for for radios and for partners. Uh, so, you know, even within the space, that's what I do. I'm just trying to help move the space forward by making commitments, uh, using these radios to as much as possible and unlocking them so that we can uh, get the most value out of them. And uh, I think Xnet's also something that Xnet did that other projects have not done is they've made a commitment to open radios. So they don't try to lock them down or say nobody else can use them or force their manufacturers to sign, you know, honors agreements like, you know, like other projects do where they're not supposed to let the radio be used with anybody else. Uh, they're very open and competitive, which is, uh, I think, a, a sign of confidence in uh, what they're offering. Oh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was we're looking at carrier roaming, so carriers, customers offloading their data to these CBRS radios. Now, is there some sort of uh, quality assurance model you guys follow that would bring confidence in this type of operation? Yeah. Uh, so a big part of it is don't, you know, uh, is don't treat like CBRS. Um, you know, exactly like Wi-Fi, it's a little different. So a big part of it is doing proper, um, you know, kind of in the Wi-Fi world, they call it like a, a you know, a site audit or an RF audit. Um, so uh, so I've got access to tools that help me simulate where you're putting this equipment, what it's going to cover, and what are going to be the quality levels, aka speeds you're going to get. Uh, so that's thing that I've done for, you know, probably last year. <clears throat> 
I did probably over a hundred thousand sites. It was, it was a tremendous amount of sites I had to go through and rank based on quality of where they're going to be and how they're going to work. So um, that's it. Um, while I do do most of my work with um, with buy sells radios, also do it with Blink radios as well. Um, and there's unique RF models for how those radios work that is very different. Um, you can't just do one for one and swap them out. They behave very differently. Um, so I think proper site planning is a big one. Having uh, reliable backhaul, having a reliable agreement, um, I think put in place, um, having a written agreement, I think is very important. Um, and actually having repercussions in there. What happens when things go wrong? What if uh, speed gets impacted? Uh, what if it takes longer than expected um, for agreements to go into place or for revenue to come in? Uh, things like that. So the most popular model that I do um, is mapping it out. Based on mapping it out, get an idea of what a site will earn. Of course, we don't know exactly what it will earn until it's up, but um, we try to be conservative. So that's that's very reliable and that's served us very well and kind of intentionally under-promising and over-delivering as much as we can in the space. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, the most popular model is revenue share. And that cuts a lot of people out who won't uh, won't agree to that. So even in a down market like this, yes, we're all making less, but um, at least we're all still making something and uh, we're not wasting a lot of time needlessly moving sites around or dealing with people who don't believe in this as much. Um, at this point, they're more in it for the money or for quick money. Um, they aren't in it for a, a slow, consistent, quality, long-term site build. Uh, so that's that's a pretty big difference. I don't know of other, you know, I think all serious professional Employers do RF simulations at this point, but definitely your your smaller employers don't have access to these types of tools or equipment. I appreciate that. It's a tremendous answer, but I think I meant to aim that at Sean and accidentally said Russ. Yeah, no worries there. I, I, I can take a, obviously stab at it from my perspective, but Russ, I mean, yeah, you nailed it on the head. I mean, coming from someone that has seen this world intensely, right, at, at Verizon, being an engineer at Verizon, I think. Your perspective definitely has tremendous value here but um just a little more on that um again like like kind of similar with russ i've been involved with um interfacing with some of the carriers we've been talking to some of these big mnos and have talked to some of their top level executives big big guys right and they've they've also talked to people that have come before in this space um no need to mention names but the main issue there was no one actually had a network. The first first pillar, right? You need you need a network that that will function, whether that be CBRS, Wi-Fi, whatever technology it may be. You need a network that can serve people and connect to someone's phone efficiently, right? Just full stop. Period. And the first problem in this space was we had radios just dispersed everywhere, like. There's no quality assurance on where these radios were deployed, whereas Xnet was like, this is wrong. We need to deploy. Like telecom networks are mostly deployed in clusters, so you can kind of concentrate bandwidth and serve a certain need. Say that area has bad connectivity to begin with. Um, so that's the approach Xnet took. We're like, here, here's radios that are close by. It's called contiguous, contiguous coverage. So if you're moving through the zone across these blocks, you'll still be connected. It's not like, all right, I'm, I'm in this busy mall shopping center. I go from point A to point B. There's only one radio in that vicinity. So like as soon as I walk 10 steps, I'm going to fall off this coverage or there's not going to be enough radios to fulfill 
how many people are in this area. So just in terms of quality assurance, I think the first, first step of having an actual product, in this case, a network that can serve people and serve mobile devices and provide connectivity is the most kind of quality assurance that Xnet took while taking this approach and building out our business, Joe. So Russ mentioned the other members on the team. Could you talk a little bit about them and, and their skill sets that they have? Oh, yeah. I'd love to do that. Um, frankly, just, just a brief briefer, like, these are some of the like, smartest people I've, I've honestly met. Obviously, I'm, I'm not that old yet. A lot, lot more experience to live, but some of the smartest people I've been had the great chance to interact with and work with and be part of a team with, see how they think. But yeah, our leader, our CEO himself, um, is Richard Duvall, and he was actually an executive at Google X. He's been a s- secret research team at Apple. He's led like many, many psyop projects and technologies in their infancies, even like. Things like AI, he was working on like model AI models, machine learning learning algorithms back in like 010, like 2010, 2009. Um, so yeah, and most notably, Rich launched a connectivity project. He was the head of it called Project Loon at Google. Um, you guys can, I won't take a deep dive into that, but um, a lot of interfacing with telecoms, a lot of interfacing with building networks. And what what went wrong? Um, there's some papers on it. Maybe we can link it, Chris, for the readers to have a broader understanding. But yeah, the rest of the team too, just top level people. Um, Donald and Tom came from deep, deep, deep decades experience in telecom. They built Wi-Fi offloading businesses in Asia, Asian markets. Um, decades worth of signing roaming deals, roaming partnerships, and yeah, they're just it's just a great group of people. Um, I'm honestly pretty privileged to be be amongst them. And um, I think they have what it takes. We have what it takes to kind of bridge the gap between the oligopoly of telecom and this new idea of using blockchain incentives and crypto to, you know, distribute and share resources amongst everyone. So I think I think it's definitely we have an exceptional, exceptional team. Can't can't talk more highly of them for sure. That's great. It's a fundamental part of a succeeding project is to have a, a good team and people that know what they're talking about. And it's good that there's people coming from different industries all together and sharing their knowledge, which is oh yeah, yeah. And just another point on that, um, something that our friends um, at Escape Velocity Ventures, um, EV3 Sal, always says is. Like one of one of the biggest signals as an investor to them is when they see a bunch of smart people, say like Russ, Russ and Joe, right, coming from these traditional telecom backgrounds, even like most of our team, Rich, um, Donald and Tom, Alex, coming from traditional backgrounds and leaving that for something like this, right? That's that's a really, really big signal on the market and just the conviction of the space when you have people that have produce tremendous value in our society doing other things and science and technology. And they're coming into this deep in space to kind of revolutionize how wireless connectivity is thought about in the United States and maybe one day across the world. So it's definitely a very, very bullish signal and very, very happy to be building this with them. Yeah, absolutely. I have 
One, uh, one or two more questions. I'm curious, does XNet have any plans to be listed on not only an exchange, like maybe even a DEX? I know that's pretty easy, the address, but a centralized exchange and or any sort of sites like CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko? Yeah, I won't. I actually won't spend too much time talking about like DEXs or sexes. Um, but yeah, I actually just um, got us listed on CoinGecko. So XNet is up and running there. It's great. Um, awesome. We're also more on the DEX side, working um, some partnerships with IOTEX. Um, they're launching kind of a lot of D-PIN products. So be on the lookout there. You'll probably see more and more there. So if XNet were to succeed with your short-term goals, what's the future roadmap look like? Is it going to be more locations? Are there going to be different incentives? What do you guys got in mind? Should roaming agreements and partnerships come to fruition within the coming future? And you have to continue to build this eco ecosystem. Yeah, no, great question. I think getting that first roaming agreement with a major participant in the traditional telecom industry is definitely kind of the biggest step. And then obviously interconnecting with them and getting their customers to roam onto the XNet network proves out the model, right? So that's that would say is our goal. Um, obviously, it's taken a bit longer than we've expected, but the fact that we're even here and it's happening right now, I think, is a really, really revolutionary thing um, that people shouldn't shouldn't fade at all, right? Because this is we're talking about trillion dollar telecom industry that a small startup with like I think we have ten full time people right now is setting to disrupt. So I think it's it's very bullish. But yeah, on future plans, I mean. The plan is to have MNOs, there's four big ones as we know them, get agreements signed with all of them, get all of their get all of them to roam onto the XNet network. And in parallel with that, expand, right? Work with them, see where they have see where they have pain points. Each of these companies definitely have pain points in certain areas. They might be different areas. So work with them, fill those pain points because we can do it at a fraction of the cost. And yeah, then expand to MVNOs, right? Those are like your Mint Mobiles and Visible. I've seen a lot of ads for Visible from Verizon. Um, they honestly have to pay MNOs to use their network. So paying someone like XNet is basically a no-brainer, right? For them. And yeah, I think once we start landing these roaming agreements and our buy burn starts happening and just I didn't bring up this point, but every dollar we get in revenue from say Verizon, Dish, AT&T, T-Mobile, or whether it be Mint Mobile or Visible, we use 40% of that to buy and burn the XNet token off open markets. And I think this will really kind of start the flywheel that I envision maybe in the next 10 years that XNet, you know, just spreads like wildfire. The incentives are there aligned. There's enough demand and liquidity in markets. And it, at that point, it wouldn't like people can just put up a 5G radio on their balcony, right? We can get one in every apartment. And I think that's that's the true vision of XNet one day in the future. It's obviously optimistic, but I like to think big. And I think that's where I see us in 10 years. One thing that I did mean to ask earlier on in the interview is, if you're looking at the XNet Explorer, what is the significance of the gold and silver hexes as well as the blue outlined areas? 
Yeah. So the, basically the different colors, right? Gold, silver, and blue. Um, I'll start with gold. I actually wrote a paper on this. You can, uh, I think it's pinned on my Twitter or you can check out my Substack. but I, I called it the decentralized telecom gold rush. So basically these gold, um, silver and blue are kind of denominations of our token rewards. So basically think gold is gold. So you're getting the highest incentive reward and it's basically one-to-one aligned with the, the demand that's present in that area which we've used, which identified through um, telco industry tools. Um, everything that the telcos use to plan networks, map out, see where there's dead spots. We use the same tools along with some proprietary data to pinpoint those locations saying, hey, this is where there's all carriers or some carriers have critical, critical pain points. And this is where the XNet reward token for deploying is the highest. So it follows similarly as you asked, Joe. Gold is the highest, silver, and blue are eligible zones. Um, there's not high, high demand there, which is why it's not as much incentivized, but it's great auxiliary coverage, right? So once we fill the gold hexes, silver hexes, people can come around and hopefully when we start that buy burn, 40% of revenues, people can start filling those up too. And I mean, anywhere you go, it's XNet was still going to be a cheaper alternative, but it's just very important to focus on a specific area at first when we're obviously we're launching with limited resources. We're trying to build a minimum viable product and get this stuff going in within like a year. So that's basically kind of the twofold purpose of those things. But yeah, it's demand aligned. It's incentive aligned. It's incentive alignment pretty much, I guess is like a two word answer. One thing I wanted to jump in on that you touched on and, and, you know, like why would carriers do this? Uh, and this is really, you know, you mentioned like EV3, uh, they, they put out some excellent kind of research on the space and why this model makes sense. But I wanted to, you know, highlight that really specifically, why a carrier would want to work with XNet for neutral offload, if it's of a sufficient quality, is because it saves them a lot of money to put up like a Verizon site or an AT&T site or a T-Mobile site. Even for what we would call a small cell, so maybe just on top of a light pole, that could easily cost uh, several hundred thousand dollars, um, which sounds crazy. But when you add up how long it takes, the approvals that are needed, um, the cost of the contractors, um, it gets very expensive very quickly. Not to mention it, it, it takes a long time. Typically, six months or more can take years. And here, I mean, if you can being able to put up a site for a, a tiny fraction of that cost with good backhaul, with good radios, with a good mobile core. Um, I mean, you can do it for a tiny fraction of that, and you can do it very, very quickly with the right incentives as well. Uh, so that's why I think carriers are, are very interested, especially in the current environment we're in now, where um, it's so expensive to borrow money and to build out infrastructure. This just seems like a very obvious thing to do. Like, why wouldn't you do this? Obviously, you know, Accident's working on the details, uh, that matter quite a bit because they control their networks, they control the customers and the traffic. But the pressure for them to open up and to do this, uh, I think, has never been higher. So I want to build off that last statement Russ made and pose a philosophical question for everyone here, something I've been contemplating lately. So let's say XNet does break down this wall and prove the deepened concept, decentralized physical infrastructure networks that are community incentivized 
And they break the barrier of utility value inflow being greater than the token emission outflow of value. What's to say that proving this model gets significant attention from the venture capital and investment crowd, and they decide we don't need all this crypto stuff. We don't need tokens for this. We can do this with fiat currency. We know it works. We know it can be profitable. Let's get rid of the crypto crap, as they would call it, and do this with fiat because it opens up a larger crowd, more options to host this type of hardware, to host these networks. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I can take the first stab and then you guys can kind of fill in where I leave off. But yeah, I think that's a great point, Joe. Um, There's still... I guess dealing with these physical infrastructure networks or just kind of real world assets that are being put on chain, there's still this kind of mishap, right? Because there's this, we have small communities that are, that know about the space. Um, it's obviously like walking over, say if I walk over the other apartment across my street and explain this to some a random person over there, they're going to be like, I don't want a crypto like i don't want a token like you know that's that's where often i've also pitched xnet a lot here um in denver to traditional kind of startup week events traditional startups you know not much um experience in blockchain and crypto and that's where the fall off point kind of happens it's like you're following they're following everything up until the point where you mentioned the token and then they're like huh like why can't i just give cash but all right so it's like the crypto Obviously, there's a speculative nature to it. Just That's just how the markets work. But sure, you may have more upside, but I completely agree with you. There should be systems denominated. I don't think like the VC model where they just dish out like millions of millions of dollars to build this stuff up will ever work. But I do think one day like the token being taken out of kind of the system, right? Like people having off ramps. So say... This person can set up a radio at their house and every month they, they're just getting a bank deposit, um, no wallets involved. They're just getting a bank deposit in U.S. dollars for the token conversion that's happening. But I think to get to that, um, achieving like a lot of volume of real world revenues and just having stable, sufficient liquidity in the market is definitely an important step. But yeah, Russ or Chris, if you want to kind of expand on. I think it's going to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis because I don't think XNet is going to be the only blockchain-powered telecom company in the future. I have a feeling similar to Helium, when you have a pioneer in the space, there's a lot of people that will come and try to just create competition because it's no good to have a market without competition. It makes both companies strive to be better. And I think in the case of XNet, because they are the, the first people in this space to go for a fully functional network, they're going to have an edge over anyone else that tries to join, especially with the team that they have and the experience that they have. It'll be interesting. They could go either way. And if they do decide to go with just cash, there's not really much that the crypto industry could do other than convince them that crypto is the future and show them the benefits and Basically, what I was trying to say is if these telecom companies decide that they don't want to use crypto, I think they will gain an audience in the fact that they'll be able to use just cash for all their funding and whatnot. But the crypto industry is continuing to grow 
I think it's going to hurt them in the long run. And I think if they want to be around in the long run, and they've been around for, what, a couple decades now, if they want to still be uh, relevant in the future, I think they're going to have to look at the hand that is dealt to them and see that, hey, crypto is really gaining some traction. And specifically, this uh, this company called Xnet. So uh, let's take a look at them and let's see what we can do. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. Uh, or you're going to see what happened to Blockbuster and many companies in the past where they pretty much don't adapt to the changing environment and their companies just cease to exist. Yeah. And just one more point to that. I think we, um, Russ and Joe, we talked about it recently, a few weeks ago on the XNet podcast. But this idea, right, Chris, you mentioned that these oligopolies have existed basically. Connectivity is like, whatever fundamental right it's it's needed right so these companies are going to be needed but if you look at apple right kind of one of if you want to have a good look on where markets are headed you you look at what apple's doing you look at what google's doing you look at what amazon's doing to kind of get a glimpse into what the future of technologies will look like and what sort of competition what sort of businesses will be present in that future and Apple is kind of the biggest signal for this because obviously most people in America and across the world are an Apple customer, have an Apple phone. And they recently pivoted to only being eSIMs. So an eSIM is obviously you don't need the physical SIM card in your phone anymore. It's all kind of on the back end. And they have, I think it's up to eight eSIMs now per, on their newest models, which basically leads you to showing that the future of connectivity and wireless networks is going to be agnostic. It's not going to be that you have one or two networks serving all your needs because how the demand for data and just the projected growth is going, the current companies are not equipped to deal with it. So Apple envisions a future where there's going to be multiple, multiple networks that have hardware that are providing connectivity and you'll just be able to scan a QR code and download an eSIM and be able to use that network anywhere you are. So I think that's definitely part of this whole puzzle too. And it's a very, very bullish signal from the market itself that we're progressing towards a different future in wireless connectivity. So bullish times, folks, bullish times for sure. Russ, would you like to give your take on that? Yeah, yeah. so actually this comes out of really you know, so several discussions I had at Mobile World Congress. So as this, you know, we're, we're definitely in a, a tough market. This is when your belief in this market, belief in this movement really gets tested because economically it, it, it can be hard to make sense right now. Uh, you know, several people I think are right now are running, you know, having trouble kind of carrying their, their current costs, but are hopeful that that'll, you know, that will change very soon and flip very quickly. Um, which I, th I think it will as well. <clears throat> These problems with being able to pay people, whether it's in fiat or crypto or a more stable crypto like USDC, uh, I think are going to be solved very quickly. There's a lot of people who know about this problem. And there's a lot of, I think, bridges and solutions currently being developed. They're going to make it very, very easy for revenue to go out, whether somebody you can do a uh, pitch to somebody and not even talk, not even mention the word crypto and they get paid in cash and just say it's a revenue share of what's earned. Keep it very, very simple. And I think that's going to be easier and easier, especially next year. There's going to be several solutions, I think, in the market coming up. They're going to address that. Um, and I, I'm very excited, you know, for the space as well. I mean, there are many opportunities to where I, it's not just putting up 
Xnet makes sense, but other projects in the space that aren't cellular uh, make sense as well. They're trying to get other data. There's GPS data, there's weather data, uh, there's noise quality data, there's all types of data um, they can get, and a lot of it could be done in the same location, uh, sometimes with the same hardware, uh, which is very, very exciting. Uh, so I, I think that is that is a problem in the industry right now, um, especially if you don't want to get classified for, for switching crypto for cash. Um, that's something you definitely don't want to do. Uh, there are some on there are some contract solutions that are out there, but getting a solution to where it goes to cash, I think that's going to become more and more commonplace and cross chain in the very near future. So I'm very excited about it. I think it's only going to get easier and better. But uh, this is this is it. This is the bear market. Uh, your resilience is being tested, and we'll we'll see what it's like on the other side. Well, I'll give my take on it. Answer my own question. So I'm not necessarily a crypto maxi. I'm a decentralization maxi. I'm a big advocate for this shared economy, shared infrastructure model built by the community in a manner that people are able to be compensated for their efforts or for their assets that they're willing to provide and share, right? It gives the power back to the people, puts the money back in their pocket. And whether that's done with a token or with fiat doesn't really matter to me. It's the concept. And if crypto proves this concept of the shared economy, the DPIN or community incentivized and driven projects, I think it will have done its job for the good of humanity. So I do believe it's very possible that we do see community incentivized projects, DPIN projects that will not be crypto based in the future. They could even be blockchain based without the token. There's blockchain records of not necessarily transactions, but events. Well, Sean, to wrap this up, how would one get involved in the project? Yeah, for sure. For, well, first of all, um, kind of as Joe said, if you're interested in just the first principles of decentralization and something that excites you, we're building something of real value to the world. And we, be we believe that decentralizing it can provide a lot for people, for communities that don't have access to internet or that need better connectivity and stripping away some of that power from these existing oligopolies. Um, first of all, just join our discord, you know, become a part of the conversation. Um, even if you don't have capital or resources to participate, we'd love for you to give your two cents, give your feedback, just be a part of the movement, right? We're only as powerful as our community is at the end of the day, right? We're, we want to be expanding. So please join our Discord. And from there, yeah, you can kind of get on ramp to the XNet community and see if there's an opportunity if you live in the US uh, to deploy your own network, uh, help with that, um, or just participate in community protocols, community calls, developing proposals. It's all an open community. And we believe in kind of the community's participation in it. So um, definitely we'll be linking the Discord probably wherever you post this video, Chris, but um, come on board. We're happy to have ev everyone help us on this mission. Thank you, Sean and Russ, for coming on today, and Joe, as always, for helping co-host. If anyone is interested in XNet, be sure to check out the description for more information.